We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Candlestick Chronicles. I am decidedly not Kyle Madsen. It's Chris Biederman with the Sacramento Bee. Kyle is off, but we have a very special guest. It's Nick Wagner, ESPN's NFL Nation reporter covering the 49ers, of course. One of our favorite guests, maybe our most frequent guest on the podcast, doing us a huge solid by joining us tonight. Before we get going, just wanted to remind you guys that this podcast, as always during football season, is brought to you by Cooperage Brewing. Cooperage Brewing in Santa Rosa, California. Stop by the brewery. It's just a great vibe. Great people. Great beer. All sorts of beer. Um, If you've had Candlestick Chronicles Hazy IPA, you know how good it is. All the beer there is excellent. They will ship directly to your door if you're in the state of California and 21 and up. Of course, go to cooperagebrewing.com. Check out all their delicious, delicious beers that they have. They have West Coast IPAs. They have Hazy IPAs. They have Pale Ales. They have Pilsners. They have Sours. They have just the whole gamut. Um, They have Stouts. The Every... All of their beer is delicious. So um, you know it. It's Cooperage, cooperagebrewing.com, Santa Rosa, California. Stop by the brewery if you're in town or if you want beer delivered to your door. Just do that. It's it's. There's really nothing better than just getting an awesome case of beer shipped right to your door without having to leave the house. So check that out and let's get into the podcast. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Kittle in Denver territory. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. Bosa's got him in a second back inside the 30-yard line. Nick Bosa drops Aaron Rodgers for a 13-yard loss. Nick, Niners-Cowboys for the second year in a row uh, in the playoffs. When you saw the way that game went and the way Dallas played, particularly on defense, what what was your thought, um, big picture, in terms of what we might be expecting with with Dallas coming to Santa Clara to play Brock Purdy uh, on Sunday, Sunday afternoon? Yeah, I mean, I, I think... All season long, if you look at the NFC, there were three teams that seemed to kind of be a cut above everybody else, and it was Philly, San Francisco, and Dallas. Uh, 
and I will not apologize to Minnesota for leaving them out of that conversation uh, for obvious reasons. But, you know, <laughs> Dallas it has been interesting because all year I've been a big believer, especially in their defense. Um, and over the last month or so, there just has been a lot of warts. They, they haven't been very good. The, the interceptions for Dak Prescott have been magnified a lot. Uh, but tonight, at least on Monday night, it seemed like they were able to, uh, you know, right the ship a little bit. And um, no pun intended, but I, I think the Bucks, you know, obviously are not a great team, but the Cowboys did what they should do to a not great team in that type of setting. And so uh, this is not going to be an easy game for the 49ers. I'm sure they and their fans would have preferred a Vikings matchup uh, this week, but that's not going to be the case. And so they're definitely going to have their hands full with that Cowboys front that they get a lot of pressure. They got a lot of guys who can create that pressure. That's not going to be an easy matchup. Uh, they are a little vulnerable on the back end if you can give your quarterback enough time, but not an easy game. Certainly uh, the 49ers should, again, the 49ers should win, but not going to be like it would be if or I wouldn't be talking about it in the same terms as I would if they were playing Tampa or, or Minnesota this week. Yeah, I think particularly with somebody like my, Micah Parsons coming off the edge and just his ability to, you know, if he has a two sack game, maybe forces uh, an interception with a pressure or something like that, like that there just is a lot of like high end volatility that defense could cause. Um, and I think it may, it's probably the second best defense going. Well, maybe, uh, I don't know, arguably the second best defense, certainly one of the best defenses remaining in the playoffs. Um, so it, it'll certainly be a, a real challenge for the 49ers offense, maybe the, the toughest one they've had in quite a long time. That being said, we saw Brock Purdy, Kyle and I talked about it after the game. Um, look, like superlatives, you know, the, the stats and three touchdown passes, a rushing touchdown without turning the ball over. We know what kind of company that puts him in. But, but Nick is somebody who's been covering Brock Purdy up close for, for the past, you know, for the second half of the season, like what stood out to you about the way he's been playing and, and just sort of how unlikely the story has been? Yeah, there's been a few things. I mean, a lot of things really, but the, the few things that, that jump out to me, first of all, in training camp, when you saw him, his arm, it, it didn't look very strong. And I'm not going to sit here and act like it's Aaron Rodgers or Pat Mahomes now, but it looks stronger somehow. Um, and I wonder if maybe there was some arm fatigue or things like that coming into the season. You know, you go through all the the lead, the workouts leading up to the draft and all that kind of stuff. And then you're working out in the offseason if maybe he was throwing a lot. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but uh, he seems to have a little bit more zip on the ball than he did, uh, at least in the early parts of, of when we were able to see him. I think the other thing is, is. Like you could see even in camp that he could move around well, that he had some mobility to him, but I think he's more creative with his mobility than I would have ever realized or expected him to be. Um, even if you watch some Iowa State games, you would see signs of that here and there, but doing that in the NFL is a lot different. Uh, yeah. You know, feeling comfortable to break out, you know, a little high step hesitation move and things like that. Some of the spin out moves that he does. Um, there's that speaks to his confidence in himself, but also his his understanding of his own abilities and his his ability to get on the move and make plays happen. And and I think that to me is the biggest thing is we've seen an offense under Kyle Shanahan for so long that we know it can be really good in structure, but we've always wondered what it would be like if you could have somebody who could do it in structure 
and outside of structure. And, that was and, the whole thinking behind drafting Trey Lance. Exactly. <laughs> totally. And, and, and I think that is um, it, it maybe the most unexpected part of this is that Purdy is doing well in both categories because we haven't seen that yet. And so now you're seeing why it's working. So those would be the first couple of things. I think just from an intangible standpoint, um, the way that his teammates gravitate towards him, how much they all seem to love him. I enjoy every week. I've kind of made it a tradition of like asking Trent Williams because Trent Williams seems to get a real kick out of the celebrations that Trent, that, that brought <laughs> right. touchdowns. Uh, so I like asking him every week if he's got a new favorite, you know, this week he brought out the, the chest beating, but he's done the finger guns. He's done the, <laughs> <laughs> injecting it into it like there's all these different ones and they all seem to get a kick out of it but I also think they feed off of it because the, because Brock Purdy is a, can be an emotional guy and I, and I think that the thing that makes it work is it's authentic he's not doing anything for show he's just being who he is and enjoying every step of the uh, every step of this and I think that's why you're seeing so much success from him. Yeah. And I think you know a lot of people would just sort of assume that looking at Kyle Shanahan's offense, the fact that he is able to get so many pass catchers open in space and the 49ers do have so many guys that can pick up yardage after the catch um, without realizing like this, this was an interesting stat from Jeff Dini, our, our buddy at Pro Football Focus, who said uh, who tweeted Brock Purdy's average depth of target Saturday was 12 and a half yards, the highest of any starting 49ers quarterback in a game since Jimmy Garoppolo in 2017 against Houston when it was 13.3. That was obviously after Jimmy had been traded um, late that season during that five-game winning streak. But, I mean, Purdy averaging 12.5 yards per target is is a pretty stark contrast to what we saw when he first took over the job because it was a lot of dinking and dunking and trying to get yards after the catch. But really, like, his willingness to go downfield and – and make a lot of aggressive throws just seems like it's sort of grown each week. Um, and the fact that, you know, 12 and a half yards, the highest number in six seasons comes in a playoff game, his first career playoff start. I mean, it speaks to that. Th this isn't just like a system thing. Like obviously every quarterback is a quote unquote system quarterback, unless they're just making every single play outside the structure of the offense, which is not what Purdy's doing. But like what stands out to you and just in, in terms of like the aggression and the types of throws he's making in comparison to maybe what the discussion is surrounding, you know, a guy who used to be the third string quarterback. Yeah, I did a, a little Twitter thread about it the other day, just with the air yards uh, per attempt that that Purdy had. It was like 10.4 uh, in that game the other day. And it was, I think, the 56th highest of any quarterback in any game this year, which maybe sounds like it's low, but it's, you know, it, like that's like 570 something games or whatever. If you right. Quarterbacks yeah. from each side. So it's a, it's a pretty high percentage, but I, I think, first of all, I, I, I always have a problem with the idea of people saying, well, Oh, it's just, you know, it's all yak. It's just playmaker. You get the ball to play. Like that's the job. At the end of the day, the job is to get the ball in the hands of your receivers <laughs> and your playmakers. It's quite literally the quarterback's, primary job and so I don't think you should take much away from them and Patrick Mahomes has his receivers his pass catchers have more yards after the catch than any other quarterback in the league in 2020 in 2021 in 2022 so that's a good thing it's okay it's okay to do that I think what you're seeing though and what makes it so interesting with Purdy is if if he has that ability to 
get that yak where it's downfield where you got guys it's it's different when you have a guy running open and he ran a 19 yard dig route and he can turn it upfield and he can go another however many yards versus a quick slant and he might get six or seven after but that's going to be about it those are the plays that turn into touchdowns the former not the latter and and so I think that is a huge, uh, you know, another way that Kyle Shanahan is kind of evolving the offense. I think it speaks to another thing, which I know you and Kyle have talked about multiple times, which is just an inherent trust level that seems to be there with, with Kyle Shanahan and Brock Purdy. And I think some of that just stems from Brock Purdy hasn't made a lot of just glaring mistakes yet. Even if you look at the interceptions he's thrown, you could make a good excuse for just about all of them, you know, and with the, with the possible exception of the one in Vegas, the other two were, you know, one was a, was an arm punt essentially. Um, and so I, I just think that right now you have a really good mesh between quarterback and head coach, a quarterback who understands that he is surrounded by a lot of talent and he should be taking advantage of it. And it's not a bad thing to do that as well. And so uh, even, even the other day, at halftime, Brock Purdy didn't play well in the first half. I think we would all agree he missed some throws that we've seen him make. He missed some reads that we've seen him make, and he at least was slow to, to get to them. But Kyle Shanahan at halftime said, you know, calm down. It's fine. The plays are there. You know, act, people act like they didn't do much in the first half offensively. They were moving the ball up and down the field. They were just failing to finish drives. And so that was the really the only thing that changed in the second half was they calmed down and they got some things going and they were able to finish drives in the end zone. So um, all of that is are, are reasons that I think you're seeing Brock Purdy having not only a willingness to push it downfield, but having success when doing it too. In his last six, in his six starts, basically not including the, the Dolphins game, but his six starts, including Saturdays, uh, he's thrown two interceptions in 154 passing attempts, um, which is, which would like oh paced out for a full season would be near the top of the league in terms of not turning the ball over. And that's been a huge part um, uh, of the 49ers recipe for success in conjunction with the defense getting a ton of turnovers. Right. And, and we saw that continue um, on Saturday. I, I know you're working on a piece that I think is coming out soon about D'Amico Ryans. And I'm curious as to like, what you can say about what his week's going to look like this week, because I know he has some head coaching interviews um, and how that might impact uh, his preparation and just his week overall. And and maybe what you think of, of the way the 49ers defense played on Saturday, maybe in comparison to how it finished out the regular season. Yeah, as of today, my understanding is he's going to do interviews, two interviews this week, and he's been requested by all five now, I believe. Um, and I'm not sure what's going on with Carolina when that's going to happen. Um, that's the one that seems to kind of be on hold right now. But I believe it's Broncos and Texans this week, and then the other ones will happen probably the following week. So, um, yeah, he look, he's having done this before. I think he probably has a better understanding than he did at this time a year ago of, of how to manage his time and and do all of those things. I, I, I always – I don't know. I, I think it's kind of unfair to the teams and the coaches – that they have to do this during the process, during the, during the postseason, it's just really tough. And and I understand everyone wants to get their guy and all that kind of stuff. But I, I think you've been an advocate of this in the past too, of like pausing all that until seasons, the season's completely over. Yeah. Um, I know that could be hard when you got to go right into free agency and all that stuff, but regardless, 
I think D'Amico Ryans understands, you know, what the setup is. I think he's going to be just fine in terms of making that work. I, I don't have any questions about his ability to deal with logistics and time management and, and things like that. As for the defense, look, I think that the the one thing that we've seen a little bit pop up here at the end of the season, and the numbers don't look just awful or anything, right? But the team, the last couple of teams that have had some success against the 49ers offensively have had some success running the ball first. And that has been the thing. Like when the Niners defense has shut teams down completely, it's because they're giving nothing up on the ground. And they, if if that is, is the case, they're going to continue to have that kind of success. But we even saw, you know, the other day, I think Kenneth Walker had 54 rushing yards in the first half, which, you know, pretty good. It wasn't like he was ripping them off in huge chunks, but he was averaging, you know, like four and a half yards of carry, something like that. But if they can do that, it keeps you ahead of the sticks. It puts you in good third down situations. It was the most rushing yards the Niners had given up to one player in a half all season. So um, yeah. when that stopped in the second half, and part of that was the Seahawks all of a sudden had to kind of play catch up. Uh, but once that stopped, their offense stopped having that much success. So everything starts, I know it's cliche, but everything starts with kind of stopping the run. And, and I think the 49ers uh, understand that. I also think that, you know, getting guys like Kevin Givens back in the mix. And I know this may not sound like something that is a normal thing for people to say or whatever, or hasn't been said a lot, but the Niners miss Hassan Ridgeway a little bit. He he, he actually yeah. played quite well as a run, run defender uh, in the middle of that defensive line. And you've got Javon Kinlaw and Kevin Givens trying to come back from injuries and things like that. And um, I'm not saying that's the only reason that they've had some, some issues against the run, but uh, that is where it starts. And I think if they can do that moving forward, that they should be okay, but um, they're going to have some big challenges on that front too, coming up. But based on what you've watched, and I, I said my piece about this on Saturday night's pod about Kinlaw coming back and the 49ers essentially choosing to have Kinlaw active over Drake Jackson because, you know, having him active means you have to have an extra interior guy active in case Kinlaw gets hurt again. Like, what, how do you view that decision to prioritize Kinlaw over Drake Jackson? And, and do you think that's going to continue or might the 49ers go back to having Jackson active because they might need more of an edge presence against Dallas in comparison to what Kinlaw is giving them. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I think the it's not just Kinlaw. It's you know you got K- Givens back too, and he you know like you want to see how he looks, and so um, you know I think it's a combination of those things, and and so yeah, I don't know that there's I, I don't know what there's going to be any other change there. I don't know if that's going to change this week. You know. The difference really all that happened from, you know, two weeks ago to last week was instead of practice squad call up Michael Dwoom for it was Kevin Givens was back. And so I think if Givens back gets back to a point where he is, you know, back, more regular in the rotation and they feel comfortable with him at that position, then then maybe they'll be fine. But the other thing you have to remember about Drake Jackson, it's not just that, oh, they need the numbers at defensive tackle. It's that, it's that he's behind other guys at defensive end. And so, you know, right. it, it, Samson Abicom, like his status could, you know, he's dealing with an ankle issue. Um, that could play into that. So if they need another body there, maybe that moves Drake Jackson back into the mix. Um, but you've got Jordan Willis, you've got Kerry Hyder, you know, they, they, they really like having, you know, obviously Omenahu, uh, but they they really like that versatility that they get from both Hyder and Omenahu. So, 
that's kind of, I think, really the thing that's working against Drake Jackson maybe the most is that he doesn't give him that versatility to kick inside. Otherwise, you'd be having a, a debate between is it him or is it Hyder or, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. but that's kind of the, that's just kind of the situation that they're in right now. Yeah. I mean, given all and just zooming out and, and maybe talking a little bit bigger picture about Kyle Shanahan, like I've been of the mind, you know, for a, for a while now that this has been Shanahan's best season as a head coach. And I think this is sort of what Shanahan has been building towards for a long time in terms of having the requisite weapons to run every version of his offense he can. And, and, line guys up all over the field. And we saw, you know, plays where Christian McCaffrey split out wide and Debo Samuels in the backfield. And then you have, you know, Kyle Juszczyk lining up at tight end and George Kittle in the slot and, you know, going in motion and and just all the different things and different looks you can provide a defense and have a quarterback who can basically run the offense and still make plays outside the structure if schematically it isn't there. Like this, this just feels like the idealized version of, of Kyle Shanahan's offense. And so much of that, too, is the amount of trust he has to put a lot on Brock Purdy's plate um, and to be able to run a, a really complex offense, particularly like that's the craziest thing about this. It's like, oh, Purdy was a seventh round pick. It's like this guy's still a rookie. Like, I think people, you know, we talk about him being a seventh round pick and like, oh, that's so crazy. Like Tom Brady was a sixth round pick. Tom Brady didn't play this well as a rookie. Like he didn't even play as a rookie at all. And he didn't play this well when he was in his first season. So I'm just like looking at Kyle Shanahan, like this is a combination of finding a guy, finding a quarterback that is sort of like idealized in terms of like what Kyle Shanahan's looking for. But it's also Kyle Shanahan sort of at the peak of his powers, I think. And and that's sort of amplified by, the personnel that he has, including guys like Trent Williams, obviously, too. But just how do you view Kyle Shanahan's evolution in terms of how he's been as a play caller and sort of offensive designer um, since coming to the 49ers in 2017 to, to where he is now? Yeah. Well, first, I just want to I want to talk about something you mentioned about Purdy a, a second ago about like it's so easy to forget how little football he's played. But I was laughing the other day when we were in the locker room after the game and George Kittle was talking and I asked him something about it was something to the effect of like, you know, Purdy seemed like he got off to a rough start. Like, how did how did you see him kind of settle in or whatever, you know, and and Kittle's given his answer and he's talking about how, you know, Purdy is pretty much the same guy all the time. But he said, you know, yeah, he just had to kind of readjust, hit a couple of throws. And then it was back to the old Brock as though he's been doing this for 15 years. you know. And I said something to Kittle. I was like, old Brock, like he's played like seven games, George. What are you talking about? And he was like, he's like, yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about that. Anyway, um, on Kyle Shanahan, I think there's a point that needs to be made here that I think is really interesting, it, which is not just his evolution as a play caller, but like the evolution of how the 49ers have built this team, how he and John Lynch have built this team. And, you know, everyone's always kind of just been under this impression that they, they were always about yak. They always cared about these physical guys and wanted to be the bully and all that stuff. And that's not really the case. Like if you go back and look at the types of receivers, let's just use that as the example, the types of receivers that Kyle Shanahan wanted to bring in here, Dante Pettis, Dante Pettis. And, but the reason he wanted that, he wanted separators, right? Like who are the guys who can create separation? And I think Kyle Shanahan, as he went along was like, well, you know who can create separation? Me. 
as the, the, the play caller <laughs> and, the, and the designer, I'm the guy who can create separation. Sure. What if I create separation for guys who then, after they catch the ball, can run through tackles and turn 12-yard gains into 30-yard gains into touchdowns? Like, and, and, I, and I think that once they got Debo Samuel, and, and you know, I've talked to John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan both about this, like, they, they did want to add a physical element because they felt like they were lacking it when they got Debo Samuel. And when they first signed Pierre Garçon, he was supposed to be that. But it was just one. Like, it wasn't like we want the whole team to be that. But, but it's evolved into this, like, well, we could get one, and now why not get another, and why not get another? And if you look at, you know, Debo Samuel, number one, it, it, probably the best in the league as a receiver in terms of yards after the catch. George Kittle, probably the best tight end in the league in terms of yards after the catch. Christian McCaffrey as a running back. And so, like, it evolved, and I credit Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch for kind of recognizing, like, this is a way to steal more yards, to steal big plays, things like that, and they're going to be aggressive in doing that. And I think it has led to Kyle Shanahan then evolving in his own way as a play caller based on the personnel that they've been able to bring in. And so maybe I, I, that's a long-winded answer and, and maybe not a direct answer to your question, but I do think that there's a point that needs to be made there on that front because it wasn't always supposed to be this way. It just turned out this way, and it's been something that they've really steered into. We can't talk about the 49ers and the offense and all of that without trying to zoom ahead to the future. And I know, you know, I, I think tonight – watching Tom Brady play against Tampa and I don't blame him for all of their struggles but Tom's not playing well and I think tonight in conjunction with Saturday it's just kind of put to bed the idea that Brady's going to come to the 49ers or at least the 49ers are going to be interested in Brady let alone like you know Brock Purdy's going to make less than a million dollars for the next few years and you know if you sign Tom like essentially Brock Purdy will cost one twenty fifth the price of of Tom Brady, you know, <laughs> like some estimation of that. And so, like with you know, I the 49ers are going to bring in a veteran, but sh- like the upshot with Brock Purdy's play is that it seems like he'll be the long term starter. Trey Lance will likely be kept around as a backup unless the 49ers find a team that wants to trade for him. But I don't, I don't really see the value in in trading away Trey Lance right now anyway. But what can this what like what can this roster do like what kind of flexibility can they have if they have a quarterback let alone like a, a high level quarterback making you know Mr. irrelevant money like what like because yeah, because it Brock, could go ahead if Brock Purdy turns out to be that guy like you know he's the starter and he's an above average to good starter in the league you can make an argument he's the most valuable player in the league, all things considered. And I'm not saying that makes him better than Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. I'm talking about when you when you factor in what he could be with the cost, he would be just one of the most one of the most valuable assets of all time because of how cheap he is. He could be like 75% of Patrick Mahomes at 150th of the price. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and, and like that is not even one, it'd be less than that. It, it's yeah. insane. Uh, we're both bad at math, so we won't do that. We'll spare the listeners trying to us do math, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, like it would, it would open up a lot of things. I, I also think that the 49ers, if you look at this roster, it's very star studded. I think we would all agree, but it's star studded with guys who are under contract. Like they yeah. have so many guys who you know, it, it, right now, the only two really pressing needs 
our Nick Bosa, which we know will get done. It'll be a record-breaking contract. Um, and having a cheap quarterback certainly won't hurt in that on that front. Yeah. And then and then and then the year after that, probably Brandon Ayuk. And they'll probably handle him the way they did Bosa because they have the fifth year option. They'll probably exercise that in May and then they'll sign him after his fourth year. That's kind of the way they like to do business. And you know, they may have to make some other business decisions along the way if guys start aging and not producing at that level. The key is is that when you have so many um high-end guys, right? This is this is where Purdy comes in. When you have so many high-end guys making high-end money. Those guys have to be your best players or you're not going to be very good. We've seen we've seen with the Rams are, as a great example on both ends of that, right, where they won the Super Bowl because all their stars were their best players. And then this year, a lot of those stars got hurt and you saw what happened. But where Purdy gives you a little bit more runway is now you can afford a few more of those stars. Now you can keep a few more of those stars than, than maybe what the Rams can do, you know. And, and so that's the thing where, you know, I've, I've always found it very interesting that the 49ers, for example, have paid a lot of money at non-premium positions, tight end, off-ball linebacker. Those are not traditionally, you know, running back uh, are not traditionally premium positions that you pay premium money to. But you can afford to do that a little bit more if your quarterback is making next to nothing. And, and I think those are the things um, that maybe help you keep the window open a little bit longer, especially if he is the guy that um, I think they hope he can be and and is at least seems to be on a path to becoming. Yeah, even even with Trey Lance and him having a $9.3 million cap figure next year, the Niners quarterback room is with Trey Lance and Brock Purdy is still going to cost just over like 10 million bucks. <laughs> yeah, and the and the Lance the Lance conversation is interesting too because yeah, I don't think I don't think they'll look to trade him, but you know, this we've gone from a league where it seemed like there was all these young star quarterbacks all all over the place to now once again there's not that many and there's a no. lot of teams that need them and so if you're I don't know who would be the, the Panthers let's say you're the and and the top two quarterbacks are going to be gone by the time you pick uh, you know would you rather roll the dice and trade something for Trey Lance trade something good for Trey Lance or would you rather draft you know, Will Levis or, or whoever, you know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I obviously haven't dug into the to the quarterback prospects here. But I, I think that that, you know, we kind of get into this mindset of like, well, what is you know, he's been hurt. And yeah, he has. So if they you know, I wouldn't be shocked if they got a, a pretty good offer for him. I was, you know, we, everyone was shocked when Carson Wentz got a, they got a big haul right. last year. It was like maybe we shouldn't be when it comes to quarterback anymore because teams are just going to do whatever is required. And again, I'm not saying they're going to trade Trey Lance by any means or that they even want to. I'm just saying that you can't rule out somebody getting desperate and being willing to roll the dice a little bit. Yeah. Uh, on the other side of that coin too, though, the Niners have had to start multiple quarterbacks, I think in four of Kyle, in four of Kyle Shanahan's six seasons. Sure. So that's, you know, like if no matter how you feel about Trey Lance, if you think, you know, if, if Trey Lance is an overqualified backup and then Brock Purdy gets hurt, like you feel okay about, having to play Trey Lance rather than, you know, trading him and then, you know, losing Brock Purdy for any amount of time could potentially derail your season because you're probably not bringing back Jimmy Garoppolo at this point. Too. Sure. And to be clear, I'm not saying they would just take whatever for Lance. I'm saying, yeah, it would have to be something that would make them come off of that idea that you just said. But again, you'd have a little bit more financial flexibility to go and 
um, you know, get a veteran or whatever to be the backup in, in that type of a scenario. But um, the Niners would also have to eat money if they were to trade Trey Lance too. Right. So there's all those, all those kind of factors that play into it. But again, like, I think the Niners are in a great spot because we could sit here and talk till we're blue in the face, but they don't have to make a decision right now. And there's still a lot more information that they can get. And I, the way I keep putting it is, is I feel like Purdy, there's a path to him becoming the guy. Mm-hmm. I think he's pretty far down that path right now. Yeah. Um, I don't know that he's there quite yet, but I think as every round they advance, obviously he's getting much closer. And um, I'm sure the 49ers would be more than happy to have that be become the case. Um, for all the reasons that we just talked about. Yeah, and like I said, like I've said this over and over, we've seen quarterbacks rise and fall quickly. Even guys who have made playoff runs, it, you know, it's it, it's not always like, oh, this this quarterback makes an unexpected playoff run and then he's going to be in, you know, on the Hall of Fame trajectory over the next decade, like obviously Nick Foles, like there there have been a lot of guys, Joe Flacco, um there've been a lot of guys who have played well in playoff stretches and then ultimately not become that type of player. So there's still plenty of reason to, to have an insurance policy for Brock Purdy in any case. Um, so when you look ahead to Sunday, Nick, and, and we'll get out of here on this, like what's, what's, what do you think the 49ers are going to have to do? Like what, what's going to be the, the standout sort of sticking points for the game aside from the obvious, like win the turnover battle and, um, and, you know, score more points than the other team. well i mean the turnover thing has basically been the ultimate predictor for them i think when they have when they have two or more they've lost all their like oh and four and when they've had one or zero uh, i think they're undefeated so maybe never has there been a team more dependent (laughs) on that on that part of it than anything but i go back to what i said defensively they got to they got to stop the run and and I know that you know there's going to be some tough matchups. CD Lamb has had a, a terrific year, but the one thing about the Cowboys that's a little different, you know, we look at like the Raiders game and you say why did the Niners defense struggle so much with that team? The Raiders had a lot of like big time talent at the skill positions with between Waller and Adams and Jacobs and you know Renfro is a good player and and all those things and. I don't know that the Cowboys have that type of firepower and that's not to knock, you know, guys like Dalton Schultz, a good player, Michael Gallup's a good player, but CD lamb is really the one that, that I think you makes you worry the most. And then, and then I'd put, you know, Tony Pollard right there probably with him as their top weapons, but you know, Dak Prescott's going to throw you some and you got to make sure you squeeze them when the, when those opportunities happen. Um, and then on the other side of it, it really, this is going to be the biggest test for that 49ers offensive line. And I think, They've come yeah. a lot. They've come a lot further than I think any of us expected, particularly on the interior. That, but they are going to have a massive challenge on their hands this week, and so um, it really is going to come down to to that kind of stuff. You know, it, blocking and tackling. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, to, to sure. be to to be super cliche along with turnovers <laughs> and scoring more points, of course. Uh, but but those are, the, I mean, those are just kind of the first couple of things that jump out at me. I haven't had a chance to study Dallas. I'll probably watch some. Yeah, but uh, that's as we sit here right now. To me, can the 49ers offensive line hold up against these guys and and can they slow down the run so that, you know, Dallas can't keep them off balance uh, in the passing game? All right. That is Nick Wagner of ESPN, our favorite cast member. Nick, thanks for hanging out with with us, man. Really appreciate you filling in for Kyle. Hopefully Kyle can uh, can pick his vacation time a little bit more intelligently going forward and not go on trips during the playoffs, but it's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll allow it for now, I guess. 
he, he, yeah, he, uh, I don't know if it was his decision or what, but yeah, he's, <laughs> he'll enjoy himself, I'm sure. No, he is. He's, he's at the wide, the wide world of, of Disney at, at the moment. But, yeah, um, I, I, I appreciate it personally. Yeah, no, I know you do. I know Both you the do. Brand, Kyle. <laughs> I know you do as, as, as a cast member and all, and all that. Um, all right, that's Nick Wagner, VSPN. Uh, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back later in the week. Subscribe, rate, and review. Shout out to Cooperage. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.